0: Hello and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona during our normal service. happy to uh, be preaching with you this morning. Um, so when I was a small boy, uh, there was a relatively popular toy for a season. It was called My Buddy. Does anyone remember this doll? I guess you, yeah, I see, a, I see a hand in the back. Um, basically, it was clever marketing. It was a large doll for boys. Historically, dolls are a girls thing. And they were like, wait a second, what if we made Dolls for boys were missing out half the market. Um, It was about two or so feet tall. There's a photo of one up there. They made them in different skin tones and uh, hair and things like that. And it was like a personal friend that would go along with you. That was sort of how it was sold. That was how it was marketed. Um, It had the catchiest uh, theme song of all time. If you go on YouTube and type up my buddy, you'll be singing it all day. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really wanted one. The song got stuck in my head and the commercial showed uh, the kid and my buddy, they were like in a clubhouse together and riding their tricycle and watching TV. And I just remember like, this is great. Like, I, I need this thing. Um, I, you know, the older you get, the more you just don't remember things about your childhood. But I remember the feeling of very much wanting this doll and uh, 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 you know, begging my parents for it one Christmas. I ended up getting it. I was probably like five or six maybe, um, and I was so excited. And then I discovered like it was kind of the worst toy ever. <laughs> it was a really boring toy because it was a doll. It just sat there, it didn't do anything. You kind of had to like use your imagination to play with it. Um, And so it didn't feel like anything in the commercial, I feel like a huge letdown. Um, So much to my parents frustration, the doll just kind of sat there. um, And eventually we probably sold it at a family yard sale, like much of my childhood. And so that was, I think, one of my first vivid memories of being let down by something that I thought would bring me joy, that I thought would bring me happiness. Um, Obviously, there's been many other things along the way, but that was an early memory of something like that. Um, So I would have done just about anything in the world uh, to get this toy. And when it was finally mine, it just the salvation and joy it provided was very short. Well, I bring all this up to say, because we're, we're doing our series on the Ten Commandments, we're looking at our last and final commandment today, um, the, the one of thou shalt not covet. Um, and this last one is a little bit different, a little bit more unusual um, in comparison to the rest. It kind of has like a different like, flavor to it, if you will. And so I think that we all have had our my buddies in our lives uh, that we all covet, and we'll, we'll dive in this morning uh, to what that looks like. Uh, so I invite you to pray, and then we'll get started. Dear Lord, we are so thankful uh, for your word. We are thankful for the truth of your word and your commandments as they were first given and the the, uh, truth of your commandments throughout the ages and even the truth of your commandment uh, through today. I pray this morning I would indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth. If I say anything that's not of you, let that be forgotten. We pray that you'd be brought uh, all glory and honor and that we would learn to better be your disciples because of this. Amen. All right. So as we've kind of done with the rest of the commandments, let's, let's kind of talk a little bit about what exactly this commandment means. How do we translate it? How do we understand it? Um, so while the commandments, like some of the commandments are kind of straightforward, and at first glance, we can kind of understand, um, you know, things like murder and things like, um, um, things like uh, stealing. We kind of understand that. Coveting is kind of a different word, kind of a different thing. You know, what exactly uh, does that mean? Uh, covet's one of those words that we don't really using English that much? It sounds kind of King James, kind of Shakespearean, kind of antiquated. You know, it's not like you're out there saying like, yeah, Fred, I was uh, coveting my neighbor's field the other day. Not exactly something that we're in the habit of saying. Um, so we do see the word covet a lot in the Bible. Uh, it comes up several times in the scriptures and in, in the Hebrew uh, in the Hebrew Bible. Um, and then often it's coming back to refer to this commandment as well. So it's the concept of thou shalt not covet. And then the Bible often talks about this commandment as well. Um, and so even, even in the Bible, when the, when the commandment uh, is given, the, the idea of coveting is talked about, it's almost self-referential. So what does, what does that even mean? What does covet even mean? Um, the, the underlying Hebrew word, it's a little bit vague. It's a a bit loose. Um, but when it's used in Scripture, it's always used and referring to the concept of desiring something, or it's used to say that something is, uh, is being desired. So an object is desirable, or a person is desiring an object. That's how it's typically used in the Bible. And so the, the idea of desire is tied up in the meaning of covet. Um, now, where it gets tricky, where we have to be very careful, and we'll touch upon this theme several times, is that desire in and of itself is not wrong. Desire in and of itself is not bad. Desire in and of itself is not sinful. You know, if, if you are hungry, you desire food. If you are cold, you desire a blanket or a sweatshirt. If you have a family, you desire to protect them, take care of them. If you see human suffering in the world, you desire for that suffering to end. So desire as a concept is not wrong, is not bad, is not sinful. Um, I think often Christians take err on the side of, of downplaying desire, and we, we kind of try to squash out moments of joy or things that make us happy. And, and that's not really what this commandment is about. Uh, the commandment doesn't simply read, you shall not desire. No, the commandment reads, thou, you shall not covet. And so where uh, the the concept, where coveting kind of comes into play is when uh, the desire of, uh, uh, when desire goes astray and turns into coveting. And and coveting is a mutated form of desire. Uh, To to use a Star Wars reference, I love using Star Wars references. If you were in Sunday school this morning, we had a few of those. Uh, Coveting is when desire turns to the dark side. Uh, Coveting is when you start to place your joy or your trust or your contentment in things you don't have instead of being okay with where things are at now. And and the commandment doesn't, again, simply read, thou shalt not covet, don't covet. But it says, uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's servants, both men and women, uh, your neighbor's ox, uh, or really anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so God goes on and he lists uh, six specific things the Israelites shouldn't covet, and then ca- caps it all off and says, like, really, like, don't covet at all. You can don't covet anything. Like, like, the whole world is, you could be coveting and, like, just categorically, don't be coveting. And so there's this blanket policy on coveting. Uh, you can covet pretty much anything, any kind of concept. Uh, it's not limited um, in, our, in, our, in our understanding of things. And... Uh, different uh, translations in English, they pull out uh, different um, kind of different meanings in this verse. And I, we use the common English Bible for our, for our base text this morning, and I really like what it does with this one. I'll read it again. Uh, Do not desire and try to take your neighbor's house. Do not desire and try to take your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And I really like this particular translation because it draws out the idea of coveting can lead you into using any means necessary to take that object of desire uh, from your neighbor. And so in the Ten Commandments, as originally given in a very narrow understanding of coveting, it's rooted in this idea that you go out and you take those things from your neighbor. It's rooted in the idea that you go out and just take this thing that belongs to someone else. Uh, we see that very clearly in the life of King David. King David has this coveting over Bathsheba, and he goes to these great lengths to like, take her, to uh, cover his tracks and to cover all of his wrongdoing. Uh, we see that in David and, and various other uh, figures in the Bible. And so in the original context, as the commandments were first given, coveting is narrowly understood as just kind of going out and like taking something, doing something to get something uh, from your neighbor because you desire it that much. But in the spirit of taking the commandments broadly, it's, it's not just limited to solely acquiring something that, that is your neighbor's. It shouldn't simply be as, as that. We shouldn't narrowly understand it as simply just taking something for your neighbors, but we should expand that to have a a broad understanding of coveting as as a warped desire to get this thing, whatever it is, um, at all costs. So you ignore your own well-being, you ignore your family, you, you take on debt, you do all these things you maybe normally wouldn't do to get this thing that you don't currently have. You would do all these things that are kind of outside of your character, that are unhealthy to you, that are unhealthy to your neighbors and to the greater world in order to satisfy uh, that coveting. So you, you, you often bring your, like, you, you, there's a downfall to yourself and maybe a downfall to those around you in the process. So coveting is being unfulfilled with what you have, being unfulfilled with what God has given you, and then seeking out ways to take and acquire what isn't yours or what you don't have you know, whether it belongs to your neighbor or not. And again, to be clear, it's not wrong to desire or want nice things for yourself. It's when that desire turns into discontentment, you seek to replace God in your life with things and stuff, and you go through all these nefarious, long-winded things to to get this thing that just causes pain and destruction along the way. And so when that desire gets warped and twisted and leaves a destructive path behind, that is coveting. And so the act of coveting is different from the rest of the commandments in that it's inherently, it's an issue of the heart that starts here and then manifests itself in different physical ways. Coveting intrinsically starts with your heart and then moves outward to commit other sins and like things along the way. And and really, though, if you think, like, this is a nice kind of, like, capstone to the the, the commandments because I think the root of breaking all of the commandments uh, circles back to this idea of coveting. So we end with coveting, but we can really understand all of the commandments as being wrapped up in coveting. Um, And here's what I mean by that, is if you look at the rest of the commandments, they all kind of, like, uh, uh, have coveting uh, be at play. And so, for instance, uh, first commandment, you shall have no other gods beside me. Coveting denies the explicit claims of Yahweh, seeks out other gods who provide selfish comforts. Number two, you should not make any idols. Coveting seeks to worship things of the created world, the gods of our own making, in hopes that we'll get ahead in life. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Commandment number three, coveting says, you know what? We can just speak for God. We can say whatever we want, uh, speak where God has not spoken. We can be our own authority on anything and everything. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Coveting says, you know what? My time is my own. I can do with it whatever I want, and I can deny rest to others around me. I can deny rest to my neighbors uh, because of my coveting. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. Coveting says you are the most important person in your life, that you don't need to look out for those who are hurting, those who are vulnerable. It's all about you, not about anybody else. Uh, Commandment number six, you shall not murder. Coveting says, hey, it's okay to hate others because they've some- done something to offend me while my flaws are unimportant or easily forgotten. Number seven, you shall commit a- not commit adultery. Coveting denies the special relationship that you have with your spouse or that others have with their spouses and seeks contentment and physical satisfaction in others. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. Coveting says, you know what? I've worked hard for my stuff. I've worked hard for my money, my possessions. I don't need to be generous. I don't need to give things away. Uh, it's all 100% mine. Uh, number nine, you shall not lie. Coveting says, hey, it's okay to bend the truth to benefit myself. Uh, and I don't, uh, I, I, It's okay to lie to make myself look better or to make others look worse. And so um, while coveting in and of itself is wrong, it's, it's, it's dangerous because it just manifests itself in all the other nine ways in the commandment. So it kind of stands as a, as a cornerstone, like we can sum up all of the commandments uh, with coveting. And so coveting uh, takes the, the selfish desire of your heart and uh, causes you to act in countless ways that are often detrimental to yourself and detrimental to those around you, detrimental to yourself and detrimental to the greater world. Uh, Proverbs twenty-three uh, five warns us about the coveting after riches. Uh, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off into the sky like an eagle. And so, that's a uh, symbolic of, of of coveting right there. And so like all the commandments, again, we could spend a lot of time talking about what coveting looks like in our day and age. Uh, we could spend several weeks talking about coveting. Really, this we, we did the 10 commandments in 10 weeks, but I hope I've made it very clear. We could probably spend a whole year on the commandments, and by the end of the year, it'd be like, okay, we get it. We're going to keep the commandments. Can we move on to talk about something else? Um, but this, the simple reality is that we as humans we covet all the time. Uh, humans are really good at, uh, at this. That, that's part of our human nature, to, to selfishly desire something we don't have, to go to some destructive sense, sense of length uh, to, to get that thing we don't have. We ignore and we replace God in the process. Um, marketers and those in advertising very much are, are good at tapping into this and exploiting this aspect of human nature. How do we make people feel like their lives are incomplete so we can in turn sell them this product? How do we make a really catchy jingle in 1986 to sell little boys dolls? How do we make them feel like nothing else matters till they get this thing in their hands? How do we make them feel stupid or ugly or worthless until they have this thing? to be clear, again, it's not only an American thing. It's not only an American thing. All humans are guilty of this, but Americans are, are very good at comforting. I think that we are, are, are very good at this. We, we know how to do this. And again, to, to saying this again, it's not wrong to want a healthy life where you have food to eat and you can pay your bills and provide for your kids. Like, don't want us to get bogged down in legalism. Don't want us to get bogged down in, like, unnecessary guilt over those kind of You know, if if you have legitimate need for, like, food and and health and safety and all that kind of stuff, like, very much pursue those things, have those needs met. It's also not coveting to, to have hobbies or to spend money on things that aren't solely necessities. Again, we don't want to get bogged down to legalism. Um, so in, in Sunday school this morning, we talked about this idea of Gnosticism that was present in the early church. And Gnosticism was this idea that said, like, fleshly things, our bodies, this, this material world is bad, and spiritual things are, are, are good. And that, that's, that's not the case. Like, this, this created world we have is good. Um, so, like, we want to be very clear about that. We, we are not Gnostics. Uh, But for, for most of us, though, again, we're talking to Americans right now, like, we are in the land of plenty. We have so many material resources at our disposal, and yet we constantly want and crave more. We just need that one more cell phone upgrade, we need one more book on the shelf, one more vacation, one more whatever it is to make us feel fully content and that our lives have meaning and value, otherwise, like, you know, what are we doing here, and like, we're kind of silly or whatever. We continue to push ourselves with working more and more and more, demanding more and more, sleeping less, and the cycle just doesn't seem to end. We're just in the, kind of wrapped up in the cycle of pushing and wanting more and more and more, ignoring our health, ignoring our families, ignoring our well being as we seek to crave and get more. Um, the 2008 financial crisis was brought on by this American like, obsession with coveting. To very much oversimplify it, we pushed too many things, too many houses on people that could not afford them, and everyone was so focused on the short-term gains. And we pushed this unsustainable model, and it all came crashing down, and all of us, like the whole world, suffered as a result of that. You know, like, again, that new car, that nice lawn, that wardrobe, that job, that status among our peers, all of those things we desire and we won't feel content until we acquire them for ourselves. Again, Americans are are, are really good at this stuff. And we're actually at an interesting time of the year. I didn't plan this out, but as I was thinking about coveting, I'm like, oh my goodness, we are on our, um, entering into our yearly cycle of coveting. Uh, This Christmas season is almost upon us. It happens every calendar year without fault. Every year we enter into this new season. And when it comes time to Christmas, and, and as, as we're on the cusp of that, you know, now's the time of year we start debating like, can you play Christmas music now? Like, when is it too soon to play Christmas music? Obviously, if you're playing Christmas music now, you're in the wrong. You have to wait till Thanksgiving. We can have fun with that. We can, we can disagree on that. Just, I played my cards on that one. Um, but, uh, but for a more serious matter, like, every year we are on. Un- inundated with this message that unless you spend gobs of money on new shiny things for your loved ones, you haven't celebrated Christmas and shame on you. Every year we get caught up in that cycle. The, the chains and the debts of Christmas past are still lurking for some of us in the shadows. Maybe we still have some of those chains on us while the debts of Christmas future are calling our names, saying, hey, I have something for you. You know, our culture celebrates the birth of Jesus in such a way that is completely out of line with his character and probably unlike how he'd want us to celebrate it. You know, we're, we're aware of, like, in, in, you know, if you're following the news, and you know, we're aware of, like, supply chain interruptions over the last year and how it's made, you know, buying things kind of tricky. You know, there was the great toilet paper shortage, you know, of last year, and there's all these other weird things that, like, are hard to get. And again, I was kind of thinking about this, kind of reading articles this week, and it's, it's, it's interesting because all these articles are highlighting, like, hey, Christmas is almost upon us, and there's, there's often this theme in the news of, like, we're having shortages and there's this, there's this like kind of like message saying, like, Christmas is ruined because of all these supply chain shortages. And I was reading these articles, and I'm, like, almost, like, laughing in sorrow because the truth of the matter is we've ruined Christmas years ago. Christmas has been ruined for years and years and years. The true meaning of Christmas, what it's all about, like, Christ becoming human, like, that message has been in ashes for years, You know, Christmas began as this holiday that honors the divine becoming human, that celebrates the almighty power of God manifesting itself in a tiny, helpless, crying, vulnerable baby. Like, that is how God, like, makes his power. known. And it's slowly morphed and become this twisted thing that says, like, you need to buy a bunch of stuff, otherwise you haven't celebrated it. And we just keep, or push this with this message that we equate the number of gifts and dollars we spend with how much we care about our loved ones, our coworkers, our friends, or whatever. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And so I think an entirely appropriate end cap into our series on the Ten Commandments is is a challenge and encouragement to go into this Christmas season and, and the season of Advent and think about like, what does it? What does this really mean? Like, how do we celebrate Christmas in a way that's honoring to Jesus? How do we celebrate Christmas in a way that like honors the birthday of the one that came to set us free from like sin and death? Like, what does that look like? You know, as I'm talking about this, you might be thinking like, oh man, should we just not have Christmas? Should we not have presents? Should we just kind of like do away with all of that kind of stuff? Is, is John presenting a Grinch-like message to just uh, not even mention Christmas at all? <laughs> well, to be clear, no, I don't, I don't want to be a Grinch for you. Now, like that being said, if, if you're hearing this and you're like, Jesus calls for radical amputation, you got to scoop out our eyes, cut off our hands, like then do that if that's what if that's what this message is calling you to do. You know, absolutely, go for it. You know, don't buy gifts if that is what you feel the spirit leading you to do. But but I'm, but again, I'm I'm not necessarily saying that. But I think what I, what I am trying to say is instead of just entering the spirit of Christmas with this this American idea of just buying 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 because I have to do that, like ask for new eyes. Ask for a new spirit. Ask for a new way of thinking about Christmas. Instead of just buying stuff for the sake of buying stuff, invest in presents, invest in gifts, invest in things with, with more, that are more in the line of who Jesus was, what he was about, what his mission was about. He was about relationship building. He was about welcoming others in, a sharing of himself, generosity, kindness, and a whole host of, of other characteristics. And so I, I, I would say, you know, if, if you're buying gifts and doing traditional things like that, great. Buy gifts, buy things that are in line with this vision. Do activities, do some things uh, in this world that support this kind of vision, this kind of life. Um, invest in things that will foster relationships with people, something that you can, you can do with something with your, with your family, with your kids, with your friends, versus this thing that might just sit there on the shelf. You know, an extreme example, plan a trip out together. We can get the like, we're gonna mark out this time, we're gonna save, we're gonna do this trip together. Like that's like I think in the spirit of like Jesus. Uh, buy a buy a board game or buy some coffee that you can do, do with something. It's very simple, it can be it can be extreme, like do a trip, it can be something as simple as like making this game so we can play together and just set aside time and like do that instead of just putting the TV on all the time. Uh, put money towards something uh, local or used or repurposed. Supporting a local business or a local artist or a local small shop instead of some faceless corporation, some, instead, uh, instead of some faceless entity. Go to a local vendor or a craft fair or a holiday fair or Etsy or a farmer's market or some sort of like, local organization that is doing good in the world. Uh, we, we, in our Brethren faith tradition, we have this group called SERVE. Uh, they're, like, very similar to 10,000 Villages. They have all kinds of gifts you can buy, like, that are uh, done by artisans overseas. And you can, you can buy actual tangible things for your friends and family members. You can buy uh, clothing and decorations and spices, like, just legitimate good things. And the money actually helps someone out overseas. It's like a win-win kind of a thing. Um, of finding other products that are fair trade or having other kinds of markers like that are a good thing. I think supporting what Jesus was about. You know, you know, if you're feeling the need to go into debt or spend money you don't have in order to truly celebrate Christmas, resist that temptation. If you are feeling the need to go into debt or spend money you don't have in order to celebrate the birth of Jesus, resist that temptation. Christ came to pay off our spiritual debts. I don't think he wants us to go into physical debt to celebrate his birthday. It's like inviting a vegan over and then giving them a big steak. I'm kind of missing the point, if that's what we're doing. Uh, spend some time out of the box. Think about how to better reconnect with old friends or people you've lost touch with. You know, write some cards. Make some calls. Look people up on social media. Reach out. That's the spirit of Jesus is like to offer yourselves to people. Uh, volunteer at a local charity or a shelter, or better yet, pause on that and put something on your calendar six months from now right? Like now is right the time of year where cha- it's, it's great to be a charity because they're getting lots of money. They're getting lots of time. Uh, businesses are like, going out, they're doing corporate days and all that kind of stuff, which is good, which is a very good thing. And we should support that. But then come January, where'd all the people go? So instead of spending your time now doing that, maybe put something on the calendar three months from now, six months from now, nine months from now. Give the gift of babysitting to some new parents that need a night off. Maybe offer to bring a meal over or provide a cleaning crew for a few hours. Look around those uh, who are sitting right here. You don't know very well. You know, invite someone over for dinner or for coffee. I'm going to be awkward right now. Pause. I want you to all do this. Kind of just like look around right now. Like, look around. Who, who don't you know here? Talk to them after the service. Invite them out for coffee. Invite them over for dinner. Who haven't you connected with in a while? Like, say, like, we should get together. Like, that is celebrating the spirit of Jesus. We get, sometimes we just get stuck in our routines and our patterns and stuff, and we just forget, like, these are, this is our church right here, man. Like, this is our church. Let's be connecting on Sunday and outside of that as well. So, like, so do that, man. That's, that's, what, that's what it's all about. Um, Many of these talking points are not my own ideas. I actually stole from a group called the Advent Conspiracy, uh, adventconspiracy.org. If if you're unfamiliar with them, um, look them up, read what they're about, and and see what ideas may resonate with you. I'll put a link in my email, my weekly email about that. The stuff I'm talking about today is very much Advent Conspiracy-like kind of stuff. And so to my friends in the faith and to those on a journey trying to figure out what faith may mean, Flee from coveting. Flee from twisting uh, desire and chasing things that will destroy you and your family and your neighborhood in the process. And I I pray you would continue to practice the habit of finding value and comfort in who you are and that Christ has died for you and loves you just as how you are right now. And as we are all entering into this season of Christmas and Advent, I pray that we have new eyes to, con- to t- t- continue to see the new ways to celebrate the birth of our Savior in a way that honors His life, His mission, and His story, and let that be our thing that we do. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, Feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.